For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello and welcome to the Circling the Bases podcast. My name is DJ Short and honestly, I should say welcome back. Actually, we've been on a bit of a hiatus since the end of the World Series and through the holidays, but the show is back with pitchers and catchers just a couple of weeks away from reporting to their respective camps in Florida and Arizona. Yes, the 2023 MLB season is going to be here before you know it. And if you've followed this show over the years, you should know that usually means it's time for our annual position preview series, going position by position and identifying our top options, undervalued and overvalued players, young players to watch, much, much more. And joining me for this year's series is a good friend of the show, Scott Pianowski from Yahoo. Scott, thanks so much for joining me here. Very excited to have you a part of the show. Thanks for having me, DJ. Great to see you again. Talk some baseball which means, uh, you know, I'll be punching up that Roto World news page every day. And of course, fantasy baseball is open as we speak at Yahoo Sports. So get your band back together, get your league set up and a lot to go over, man. I, we're going to do first base today and uh, it's a fun position. It's a little bit of a top heavy position, but a lot of guys to sort through. And uh, this will, I'll be very open about this. I mean, we're putting this out there to help everybody draft, but I, I'm just looking forward to picking your brain and seeing where we disagree and where we agree because I feel like that will make my personal draft prep all the more sharper and get me, you know, in the in the shape I need to be to to try to, you know, go pound my leagues, win some money this year. I, I feel the same way. When I do prep for these episodes, sometimes it's my own personal prep as well that I use in my draft. So it's it's very useful. I know there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world, but it's nice to have sort of this distraction to go to. Uh, and fantasy baseball is just a game, but you know we we take it seriously. We're trying to give you the best uh, advice uh, we can, but hopefully it's an escape for you. Uh, I know it is for me a lot of the time. So we are starting here at first base for this episode. And before we get started with specific names and rankings and that sort of thing, uh, I just want to get your take on the state of the position. Uh, just your general feeling about first base going into drafts and your prep this year. You said it's kind of a deeper position, a fun position, but as you start to go into those early drafts, you're like, you know, I can wait on these guys or, you know, I want to be aggressive early, just that kind of thing. Yeah, I always feel that I want to have a good offensive base on any of my teams. And generally, I feel the outfielder is deeper than infield, although this year maybe the outfield isn't as deep as it usually is. But I find that corner infield picks and we're not talking about third base today but we'll get to them shortly enough in the series 
are never bad early picks. Right now, there's, I think, four players in the top 30 at ADP at first base, and, and I'd like to draft, I, I hope, because I'll have several teams. I hope I have a Vladimir Guerrero team. I hope I have a Freddie Freeman team. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt's coming off an MVP year. Pete Alonso on that loaded bets team. I'm going to be proactive in the infield. I'm going to be proactive at first base. That is not to say that there aren't bad guys you can get around pick 100, pick 150, pick 200, but they're your utility corner guys, right? They're your third option at the position. This is a position where if I'm going to break ties a lot of the times, it's going to be taking one of those infielders, taking one of those foundation guys at first base because this is not a position where you don't say at the end of the year, oh, I found this first baseman out of nowhere. No, the, the best first baseman are guys you already know. They're on teams you know. They're established players. If there's an MVP to be won by a first baseman, it, it's not going to be Anthony Rizzo. It's not going to be Josh Bell, and although I like those guys at their respective ADPs, and we'll get to them later. But it's going to be one of the major vanity guys. So this is a position, I think, that spreads some chips. That's a good point. We'll get started here in a minute. Before we do, a word for our listeners. Be sure to download the RotoWorld app to receive breaking news player updates all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in your app store today, so definitely check it out. Hang on, Matt. Hang on, Matt. If you're in one of my leagues, don't check that out. If you're in a <laughs> league I don't play in, you're welcome to to use World of World all you want because it's look, time is money, man. You need you need to have this type of stuff. You need to get the alert before the guy in your league. So again, if you're not in my yep. league, go nuts. Download. Use responsibly. If you're in my league, now nah, you know. D- d- don't charge your phone. Sleep late on the weekend. <laughs> don't set a lineup. That's uh, you're encouraged to play that way against me. Right. You know, a lot of things have gone out of style in the past 10 years, but the Roto World Player News app is still just as valuable as it's ever been. Um, and especially to get those kind of alerts when you have to jump to the waiver wire real quick if there's an injured closer or anything like that, it's super valuable. So definitely keep that in mind. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Let's start out here looking at what changed at the first base position during the offseason, sort of an in case you missed it, to start us off at the top here, the biggest move, Jose Abreu. So he signs a three-year, $58.5 million contract uh, with the Astros, which is super interesting. Obviously, that, that deep lineup, that scary lineup, there's going to be all kinds of ducks on the pond there for Abreu. Coming off of a season where, you know, he 
he fell off a bit power-wise. Uh, but I I love this fit. I'm wondering what you think, Scott. Crazy about it. I mean, I know he's, what, 36 now, age 36 season, but in their projected lineup, he's going to hit by between Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. Talk about the catbird seat. And they have a bunch of high OBP guys who are ahead of them. This is a very, look, maybe the, the eight and nine spots will be dead spots in this lineup. But when they have, it looks like Jeremy Payne is going to bat seventh right now as the lineup is constructed. This lineup goes seven deep and it's going to, they're probably going to be the AL's highest scoring team. And I think Abreu is getting the right team at the right time. And he's somebody I'm willing to jump the line. I'm going to have, I'm going to try to rank him above ADP and maybe skip a, a half round or a round on him or go a little bit extra in those salary cap drafts. I would like to be proactive on Jose Abreu. And I think the Astros, a team, look, I, I know people, it's a polarizing team because of what happened with them a few years ago, but it's a smart organization. It's such a deep roster. They're going to score runs by the truckload. You want a piece of this offense, and why not with Jose Abreu, who I think his early ADP is very reasonable? It is. I mean, if he doesn't have 100 RBIs this year, I'm going to be shocked um, with that lineup. So uh, the, the flip side of that, obviously, Jose Abreu had a very long tenure with the White Sox, but now Andrew Vaughn takes over uh, first base there in Chicago sort of was pigeonholed into left field when he made his uh, major league debut, not really where he belongs. I, I wonder if we see him make a leap here now that he can go to his more natural position, maybe be a bit more comfortable. Yeah. You know, I was all in on the white Sox last year and just, it feels like everything went wrong. Jose, uh, Abreu had a mediocre season. Giolito couldn't couldn't pitch for some reason. He was on a bunch of my teams that really went bad. Uh, Eli Jimenez got hurt again. Obviously, Tony Larusa was probably the wrong man at the wrong time. A Hall of Fame manager, but you know, past his relevance date. So maybe it's a case of buying on the 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 cheap with a lot of these guys. Now, Vaughn won't be cheap because he was really good last year, and it's a little maybe frustrating that he's probably going to hit six as the lineup is currently constituted, but. Again, a team I think goes about seven deep, right? I mean, who wouldn't want Tim Anderson? That Ben Intendi's going to hit second. He's a high OBP guy. I would love to see him and his just get a break from the injury gods. He hasn't had them. So this is an offense. I think it has the chance to be. I said Houston. I already gave Houston the run scoring title in the American League. I think the White Sox could have a puncher's chance to win that themselves. A lot of these guys won't be as expensive. Certainly Vaughn would be a lot more inexpensive in ADP than Jose Abreu would be. And this is another lineup I want to draft into proactively. In the case of Vaughn, if Abreu's age makes you concerned, I mean, Vaughn's just age 24. He'll turn 25 this year. So you're getting him. He's on the escalator. This is the type of player you like to draft. A young player who's got a ceiling who hasn't had his best season yet, and that describes Andrew Vaughn. So another big one here, a noteworthy one fantasy-wise, Josh Bell uh, signed a two-year $33 million contract uh, with the Guardians, and it was kind of a tale of two seasons for Bell. Uh, last season started out great with the Nationals, uh, then was traded to the Padres in the big Juan Soto deal, and his production you know, fell off a cliff, but... Uh, what I like about Bell, just really solid plate discipline, fits in that Guardians lineup very well. We know how much they value making contact, but he adds an element of power as well. And I like him a lot because he's going to have those table setters in front of him as well. I just I think this is a great fit for the Guardians who've needed that sort of middle-of-the-order bat. We saw that in the series against the Yankees during the playoffs. They really lacked that. I think Bell gives them some legitimacy there. 
Yeah, I like the way you frame the Cleveland lineup, right? They do put the ball in play, and they do get on base a lot. They draw a lot of walks. As you said, it's a high OBP team, and Bell probably fits in the middle of that lineup right now, hitting behind Quan, Rosario, and Ramirez. The way they're constructed, another switch hitter for them. I like Terry Francona as a manager. You don't know how much power you're getting from Bell, but the, you have to look at, look, he's going to score a lot of runs. He's in a lineup that maybe not as deep as that Houston-Chicago lineup, but a lineup that goes six deep at least should be a plus offense. And you're going to get some of that value back in batting average because I think this guy could hit maybe 300 in a good year and I think 270 plus. We have to reconfigure what we think about batting average. It used to be, oh, I don't want anybody hits 240. Now it's like your team might hit 240 in a deeper fantasy league. So Josh Bell's going to, maybe he won't hit the 35, 40 home runs, but he could hit 25 and he's going to be a plus player everybody everywhere else. And he's still just age 30. Maybe we haven't seen his best season. I think it was a very sharp move by Cleveland. And I love the way he fits this current lineup. And we also have to mention some of the changes in the rules this offseason. The, sh the shift change, Josh Bell is one of those guys, you know, a lefty hitter who I think could benefit from that. Maybe you boost him up a few points. He already, you know, makes a decent amount of contact. As we said, I think he's a sleeper pick to maybe hit 290, 300 this season. You know, you talk about you know, Bell, obviously a switch hitter, but it's a right-handed league. So he's going to be batting left-handed most of the time. The other day, I was just having a little daydream that, you know, maybe I'll draft a team of all left-handed hitters thinking that they stand to benefit more for all switch hitters slash left-handed hitters because those are the guys who are getting killed by the shift. All the left-handed hitters are getting shifted against. And I'm actually, I'm probably going to get booed or sacked by some of the sabermetric-friendly people in the crowd, but I'm kind of excited about the shift change because I just watching a player ground out to a keg party in right field is not satisfying to me. And, and look, I know why penalize teams for being smart and the hitter should learn to adjust. But the pitching is so good now, and every team has all these fire-breathing dragons that come out of the bullpen. We don't ask the starting pitcher to go anywhere near as deep as he used to. It's so hard to hit. I don't mind them. Not, not, and also, somebody would say, well, who cares? They're going to just trying to hit a home run anyway. They're not trying to hit a single to right field. But the bottom line is we're going to see more hits this season because the defensive positioning won't be as good. And I, I think that, I think it's a good thing. I miss a couple of singles. I don't, I don't mind that. And if batting average goes up, I think that will make the game a little bit more enjoyable. At least for me, it will. I totally agree. And I, I speaking as someone who, you know, sometimes they go to games in person, but if you watch it on TV, I think you're conditioned to a certain way of watching the game. And when you see a ground ball hit up the middle, I think we're used to seeing that ball go into center field. But in recent years, that ball just gets gobbled up. It's a very jarring thing uh, to watch on television. So I think it'll make it a more exciting game to watch uh, with these shift changes. I'm not against it especially if it helps us fantasy-wise. Uh, a few smaller moves we had here as well. Uh, Will Myers signed with the Reds, uh, Trey Mancini and Eric Hosmer, both to the Cubs. Uh, Brandon Belt signed with the Blue Jays. We had a couple even smaller moves in that. Dominic Smith to the Nationals. Carlos Santana uh, to the Pirates. From some of these smaller moves, Scott, what, what is one of them that jumps out to you? If Brandon Belt could ever get full, it's it's kind of a glass half full, glass half empty because he may be a platoon guy in Toronto. But if he's a platoon guy, he's only facing the right-handed pitching, so his ratio stats would be better. We know they they're moving the fences in that the dimensions yeah. are changing in Toronto. So mm -hmm. I, I think a lot, and that's I think we're going to have a good debate about Freeman and, and Vlad Guerrero later. That's one of the kind of the hot points is you know pick your guy, who do you want? 
um, because Toronto's lineup is deep and the fences are coming in. It just looks like, again, I, I'm giving every team in the American League, I'm going to say they're going to lead the American League in runs, but, but that Toronto yeah, lineup, how right. can you not look at it and be like, oh my God, I have to have some of these guys. And yeah. and even if it goes down to what's a cheaper way I can get invested in the Toronto lineup, it might be Brandon Belt. I also think the Carlos Santana signing is interesting because he's still got good OBP skills. Another guy who's yeah. a switch hitter maybe picks up a couple of hits from yeah. the shift. And the type of move that you see a smaller market team has to make, and maybe he'll get flipped at the trading deadline. I don't think Carlos Santana is out of relevance. I think he could be a nice. He won't be your, you know, your headliner at first base by any means, but he could be a nice depth pick. You get at a pretty good ADP. Yeah, I like Will Myers in Cincinnati. I think in that ballpark, he's only a couple of years removed from being, you know, a useful player in mixed leagues. I still think there's some possibility there. He's someone who could get traded if he gets off to a hot start. That's something to watch. But uh, in that ballpark, I could see him really surprising some people. So only thirty uh, years old, he's still. I yeah, still think he might have ten crazy. stolen bases in him too, which is yeah, a lot yeah. in today's day day and age. So, yeah, another park that anybody in Cincinnati, right? Anybody who's going to be in their lineup, you have to take some interest in because it's one of the four or five best parks. It could be easily the best offensive park this side of Coors Field, and so we always want to get an investment there if we can. Yeah. And another rule change I wanted to mention here is, you know, a lot of us are making that shift from fantasy football to fantasy baseball prep. Remember, there's going to be the pitch clock this year. There's going to be throwover limits for pitchers. The bases are bigger than they've been in the past. A lot of people are anticipating an uptick in stolen bases. Uh, so that's something to think about, especially if you're looking at some of these like one trick pony kind of type of speedsters. I don't think there's the need for that quite anymore. If you can sort of cobble together, you know, 10 stolen bases here, 10, 20 stolen bases there, I think you can win a league that way. So it's another thing to keep in mind as we start to do our fantasy baseball prep this season. Uh, so next up here, uh, let's get into some players we are fading this year, uh, at least as far as late January, the best we can do. Um, you know, players who just looking at their current ADP, you're not going to necessarily want a piece of it. Not that they're a bust or anything like that, but you're not seeing them as a as a good value at their current average draft position. Yeah, my first fade is, is Vinny Pasquantino. And it's hard to say this because he was great last year for Kansas City and a lot <clears throat> yeah. of people like him and he had more walks than strikeouts. Anybody who has more walks than strikeouts is a good hitter. But what makes me nervous is he came into the major leagues kind of late. He was never a prospect. And I talked about some of these other hitters who are in really good lineups. And the, the Kansas City lineup is good at the top of it, but after Vinny, it kind of and he's going to probably back clean up. It drops off a cliff. I think he's going to have trouble. Now, what what does lineup protection mean? It, it, to me, it means I want buoyancy and the idea that guys in front of me are on base, guys behind me are driving me in. Pitchers have to throw me strikes because they're concerned that if I get on base, you know, somebody behind me is going to hit a two run home run. I'm just worried that the problems in this Kansas City lineup are going to hurt. Vinny's production. And, and just when somebody, again, isn't a prospect, isn't drafted that high, he doesn't show up on the top 100 prospect list, kind of pops at a late age, it, it just makes me nervous. I, he, again, the walk strikeout thing, when I see that, I'm like, well, he has to be a good hitter. He's got that sweet swing too. But Kansas City's just, I think it's going to be a dead zone for fantasy. I know we all want drafted to Bobby Witt, and, and obviously Salvador Perez is a very good player at a weak position. But I'm afraid this is going to be a really bad offense. It's a player who had no pedigree before last year, kind of came out of nowhere. I'm just, he's going in the top 100 right now in ADP, which he has to be good at that price. A little yep. bit too pricey for me. I think I'm going to be out on Vinny Pasquantino during draft season. I think he's going to hit. 
Uh, I, I think he's obviously he's capable of hitting for average. Uh, and the plate discipline was so impressive for a rookie, you know, for first uh, chance in the big leagues to do what he did. I have a little bit of question marks about how much power he can hit for, because if he's hitting 20 home runs, you know, that might be slightly disappointing inside the top 100 relative to the other first basemen that are out there. And just looking at early drafts, Pasquantino has a ton of helium, a ton of hype. Whereas I would maybe rather take Jose Abreu, like we were talking about earlier, uh, more of a proven commodity. And even though there was the power drop from Abreu last year, he still hit the ball incredibly hard. It wouldn't shock me if he got back to 25 homers. And like I said, you know, the lineup protection matters. Like you were just mentioning um, with the Royals there. I mean, Pasquantino could put up similar uh, quality of contact. He could hit for average, but he could get you 80 RBIs. Meanwhile, in the Astros lineup, Abreu could get you 100. Uh, to me, uh, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think I, I still like Vinny a lot, uh, but I think Abreu is going after um, Vinny in uh, NFC drafts right now, which to me, I'm not not quite ready uh, to go there. I'm so glad you, you put the spotlight on that. So in the current NFF, NFBC ADP that I have in front of me, uh, Vinny Pasquantino is pick 93, uh, ADP 93. Jose Abreu is pick 101. And I think that part of that speaks to one of the players coming off a rookie year. So he's a little bit of a shiny new toy, albeit Pasquantino was not a high-rated prospect. But whatever, he's a new guy, right? New thing, new player for us to draft into. Jose Abreu's been around forever. He's in his mid-30s. You know, People don't go to their drafts wanting to draft these boring veterans. I used to put together, and this is a dated reference now, the uh, Raul Abanez All-Stars, just the boring veterans that would outkick their ADP year in and year out because people were kind of sick of drafting them because there was nothing exciting about them. They weren't buzzy prospects. They weren't young players. They weren't like maybe even MVP candidates. And that's what Jose Abreu is. He's a boring value veteran who's going to outkick his ADP. I actually think, I, I think his ADP is probably going to rise. I think in the teeth of draft season, he's going to be around pick 80 to pick 95. He'll probably go up around. So if you're drafting, and this is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't want to draft early. They're like, well, I haven't done my prep yet. What if my guys get hurt? The reward of drafting early is that if there are mistakes in ADP, if players are mispriced, you can take advantage of them. I think Jose Abreu, outside top 100 picks, I think there's just a flat out mistake. I want to pounce on that. I totally agree. Uh, so my my fade here is Jake Cronenworth, uh, kind of looking more in the mid to late rounds of drafts. He was highly disappointing last season. Hit 239, uh, got you 17 homers, uh, 88 RBIs, 88 runs scored. So he was a compiler in a pretty good lineup there in San Diego. But he doesn't stand out in any one category. And just looking at quality of contact, he was 50th or 50th percentile or lower in pretty much everything, max exit velocity, average exit velocity was 24th percentile, barrel percentage, 29th percentile, hard hit percentage, 18th percentile. Just not great, uh, has good sprint speed, but he doesn't really run. He had just three stolen bases last season. I know that there's the versatility thing that people like about Cronenworth and on paper, again, Padres lineup looks really good, but I just don't see him standing out enough where Yes, you have that multi-position eligibility, but I feel like he's one of those players, especially in a more shallow league where every week you're going to be saying to yourself, can I get somebody better than him? And I'm afraid drafting him that early is just not not going to be worth it in the end. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's like, what do you get here? Okay. 
batting average, career 256 guy. He hit 239 last year, which hurt you. Was well, he a power guy? Well, he slugged 390 last year. 17 home runs is okay. It's not great. Well, does he run? No, three or four stolen bases a year. And the Padres have such a deep lineup and such a deep roster that I don't think he's even guaranteed playing time. They're going to look, you know, they signed Matt Carpenter. I know that they like the idea of maybe him playing the upfield. Matt Carpenter could easily be a first baseman for them, take up some of the DH at bats. I don't think Cronworth is married. I don't think he's somebody who's like, okay, he's playing 150. I know he has the last two seasons, but the depth of this roster, I, I could easily see him maybe losing some of his playing time because he doesn't have one skill to hang his hat on. Really, his best skill is versatility. And his best skill has been the availability of being caught up in that San Diego undertow, which I don't feel is a guarantee for a full season next year. He's an easy fade for me. His price would have to come. He'd have to go several rounds over his current ADP before I would consider drafting him. So in that same area with Cronenworth uh, on NFC right now, it's 189.95. He's right in the area of like a Brandon Drury, uh, DJ LeMayhew, depending on how healthy he is with the toe coming into spring training. But if LeMayhew is healthy, you know, sitting at the top of that Yankees lineup, that's a place you want to invest in, obviously. And younger player Miguel Vargas with the Dodgers, I'm I'm really into as well. We already mentioned Will Myers. I wouldn't be surprised if Myers put up similar counting staffs as Cronenworth, if you really think about it. 15 to 20 homers, you can outsteal him. Uh, and a lineup that might be, you know, could boost them enough where the counting stats are, are similar, similar there. And you can get Myers several rounds later than Cronenworth. I see them kind of similar. I do too. And we talked about Josh Bell earlier, who has about a uh, equal ADP as Cronenworth right now. He's only four picks earlier. Or if you want to even jump ahead around and take Ty France, part of a deep Seattle lineup, or Rowdy Telez, who a very underrated player in Milwaukee, although he mostly mashes righties, but so what? It's a right-handed world. You have a lot of options in this in this ADP pocket, which is why it's easy to fade Cronenworth at the current price. So any other players you're looking at that, you know, you've seen this early ADP and you're like, eh, I can probably get similar value later. Yeah, that's the game you play a lot of times. It's like, well, here's a player I can get. Here's the stats I expect. Can I get those stats later? And, and when I look at Reese Hoskins, I think to myself, you know, he's Anthony Rizzo and Anthony Rizzo is going to go several rounds later. Both of them in good ballparks, both of them ostensibly in deep lineups, although the Phillies will be without Bryce Harper for a while. Of course, they get Trey Turner in the lineup, which is great. And they have also, they have, um, why can't I think of the guy who hits second for them? who's on base all the time, Kyle Schwarber. So that's a great OBP at the, at the top of the lineup. But man, it's just frustrating not to have Harper for three or four months. But Hoskins is probably going to hit about 235, maybe hit 30 home runs. He hasn't been a great RBI guy lately, which is more of probably a fluke than anything else. But Anthony Rizzo, what do you have, 19 home runs, I want to say, in Yankee Stadium, just goes to the perfect park at the perfect time. They realize it. He realizes it. Another guy, the boring veteran, right? He's in his mid-30s. Nothing exciting about Anthony Rizzo. I will take that discount all day. So this is part of making Rizzo a target for me, but it's also, I think, Hoskins. I see a, two similar players with like 40 or 50 pick gap in ADP. It doesn't make sense to me. I I agree with what you're saying there. You're, you're preaching to the choir. So uh, jumping over to the sort of buy target area uh, with us, I think we each like Josh Bell uh, there in Cleveland, like we mentioned earlier. I, I see a 100 RBI season maybe uh, for Josh Bell this season and maybe 290, 300 batting average. I'm going to be targeting Josh Bell. I can say that first off. But another name that I like is Alex Kirilov with the Twins. Uh, might not qualify yet at first base, depending on what league you're playing in, but that should change really quickly. 
the Twins recently traded Luis Arias, the AL batting champ, uh, to the Marlins, and that opens up an opportunity at first base there in Minnesota. And and Kirloff, you know, once a former pros- top prospect, but uh, has failed to meet expectations uh, due to injury, though, not underperformance, really. Uh, nagging wrist issues, underwent uh, wrist surgery last August, definitely impacted his quality of contact uh, last season, but he has a great bat when he's healthy. Yes, hard to count on him, but he's just 25 years old. He's basically free in drafts. I think that Twins lineup is underrated, and Kirilov could pay up pay off really nicely. His current ADP on NFC is 448.49, so we're talking maybe drafted or maybe just a waiver wire pickup, but I could see him paying off really nicely. Depends on what he looks like in the spring. We'll see how healthy he is, but I, I could see him being a seriously buzzy name going into drafts this spring. Yeah, a post-type sleeper, right? As you said, always had a pedigree and has an injury excuse. I mean, when your wrist isn't right, you can't hit for any power. So all of his stats, don't don't get in the weeds with the stats. You just throw them all out because he wasn't healthy. They want him to be their first baseman. They're going to give him every chance to win the job. And what could be a, a decent lineup? And as you said, they've moved some pieces around. So they want him to play 150 games. I think his upside is he could hit 30 to 35 home runs. And at the price, he what he's your last pick of a draft, or maybe when you put somebody on the the injured list, he, you pick him up as a replacement, one of the first guys off the waiver wire in a medium or shallow league. Doesn't pan out, that's fine. You you just drop him and pick up somebody else. But he's somebody I want to see what he does in the spring, and I would love to, for him to be on my roster in April, even if I don't need to play him. See where it goes. Give him a month. See it kick the tires on him a little bit. If he if he seems to be panning out, maybe he's in my lineup going forward. And if he doesn't, I'm sure it'll be all sorts of other guys I want to pick up. So I agree. This is what you're doing when you're targeting your late picks. You're looking for plausible upside. And Alex Kirilov certainly offers that in 2023. So we mentioned some of these names we like, uh, Josh Bell, Anthony Rizzo, et cetera. Anybody else you're keeping your eye on at first base or corner infield uh, late in drafts here? Yeah, I mentioned Ty France in passing too, and a nod to our friend Chris Crawford, you know, who's kind of made me a Seattle sympathizer. I just like I like this team a lot. I really like the way this lineup is constructed, and I love having guys who bat early in a in a good lineup. France probably going to hit second in that lineup, so you get extra at bats. You have people around you who are on base and knocking you in. He had a better season two years ago than last year, but I still think he's somebody who could hit over three hundred, who contributes in a lot of different areas, and in an offense I want to invest in and also maybe it's i'm a night owl i like to have a couple of west coast guys too and you know give me me and chris something to talk about during the season so give me a a inexpensive piece of that seattle offense give me some tie france yeah uh so let's jump to some young names to keep an eye on i think these are mostly late round flyers but you know i think there's some interesting stuff here miguel vargas i already mentioned him a little bit has done nothing but hit in the minors 313 hitter uh, has always hit for average, but he's added some power over the last two seasons, really putting him on the radar in dynasty leagues and prospects lists in general. The Dodgers let Justin Turner walk during the offseason sign of the Red Sox. So there is a good chance that Vargas plays a significant role uh, this season. And I'm pretty into this because, you know, we're talking about wanting to get a piece of a lineup and you know, to get Vargas, the Dodgers lineup, not quite as fearsome as maybe they've been in the past. They have some question marks, but uh, Vargas to me is pretty interesting. No, I agree. And I, actually, I'm still in on this lineup. I obviously lose a Trey Turner. It's a, it's a big hit, but in first base, first base is a different position than other 
prospect positions or young player positions because it's it's more of a veteran driven position it's not it's very rare what happens is like when you, you see the major league baseball draft right and, and so many guys are drafted at shortstop and they they move off the position and they become outfielders they become second baseman they become third baseman or first baseman or whatever it is so this is a this won't be as buzzy the first base rookie or you know ascending player list won't be as exciting as other positions just the shape of the way baseball is but still a lineup i'm interested in and and now that he's you know with turner gone and everything i i could see him he's fargus is somebody i would want to be drafting into proactively where he's going currently yeah i had actually if I, if you wanted to take a futures bet uh miguel vargas my pick for national league rookie of the year mm. i'm just going to put that out there early uh, so take a look at those few. He runs plays. a little bit too. I mean, he may steal a handful of bases too. Yeah. And there's the spotlight there with, you know, the Dodgers, one of the premier teams in baseball. I could see him getting a lot of love uh, for rookie of the year. And hey, the Dodgers, they they grow rookie of the years on trees in their in their history, their franchise, so that he could be the latest one. Uh, moving on here to Tristan Cassis uh, with the Red Sox. We got a little bit of a look at him. Uh, last year with the Red Sox, after he had a, a good year down there in AAA, 889 OPS with 12 homers uh, in 76 games in AAA, uh, then hit 197 with five homers, uh, over 27 games uh, with the Red Sox down the stretch. And uh, the Red Sox did uh, let go of Eric Hosmer. So, you know, they're all in on Cassis uh, this season. I'm a little, I, I want to see a little bit more from Cassis before I really trust him in, in, in mixed leagues, but. Uh, certainly a ballpark you want to hit in. Uh, and he's shown an ability to, you know, have good plate discipline as well. Everyone talks about the power. He's intriguing, but I'm not sure I would draft him in more of a shallow mixed league quite yet. Yeah, I'm interested because of the walk strikeout, right? He, he walked 20% of the time, which is gigantic. And he only struck out 24% of the time in Boston. And look, he hit 197, but, you know, with a 208 BABIP, I, I know he didn't have the greatest hard hit metrics, but that's going to correct. I'm not sure what type of major league player he's going to be, but the Red Sox are going to give him every opportunity. And Fenway Park, man, there's no foul territory. It's a great batting eye. It's just a great runs park. It's misunderstood. It's not really a great home run park, but it's a great park for offense. And I don't actually, as a Red Sox fan, I'm kind of a little bit talking myself into this lineup. I know everybody's mad because Bogarts went, but you know they didn't, they didn't get him signed. They didn't handle it right. Bogarts probably wanted to stay and would have stayed if they were proactive about it, but at least they've locked up Devers. I thought Turner was an interesting signing. And you know, Casas is a guy, I, I just don't, I don't think he's going to hit for a ton of power, but I, I know he's not going to hit 197 again. I think he could actually hit for a plus average. So I, I'm curious. He's somebody I would be considering as a, as a possible bench fill. I think there's a plausible case for his upside. Spencer Torkelson was a name that had a ton of hype uh, just this time last year, but uh, a lot can change in one year. You look at the rookie season he had, just hit uh, hit 203, eight home runs, 604 OPS, over 110 games. Was somewhat better when he returned in September. Uh, might be hard to see that, hit just 219, but nine extra base hits in 27 games. The strikeout rate uh, got in check down the stretch, and he also hit the ball harder uh, than he did before and lofted the ball a lot more. I think there's some upside here with Torkelson. It looks like he's going to get every chance at playing time as well. Yeah, still just 23. I, I, look, if he, he plays, he's going to hit 20 to 25 home runs. The light goes on at different times and different cadences for different players. You know, pr Progress 
as a player, development as a player is not linear. It's not like, okay, you're this good, then you're a little better, then you're a little better, then a little better. It's not like an SAT question. And these guys have different timetables and no pressure in Detroit. They're obviously not contending. They're in the midst of a rebuild. So he's somebody, again, it's a post-type sleeper because he didn't do anything last year. So everybody's off the scent. You'll get him probably cheaper than you did last year. I think he's somebody worth considering with a late pick. So Matt Mervis is the other one. Uh, I think we should all keep an eye on there in Chicago. And like I said earlier, he's he's blocked for now. Eric Hosmer signed there uh, during the offseason. And uh, so I think he's probably going to start the year in AAA. Um, Trey Mancini also signed there. So I just don't really see a path to playing time to start the year. But that's not necessarily the, the worst thing in the world, especially uh, in drafts where you can have some reserve picks and have them at the ready. Uh, he was great in the minors last season. Hit 36 home runs between three different levels. Started the year in high A, made it all the way up to triple A. The numbers didn't suffer with those promotions. Uh, 24 years old, also had a good performance in the Arizona Fall League. So the hype is jumping for, for Mervis. So uh, he's someone to watch. We'll see if he makes a push during spring training, but I would be surprised if he makes the opening day roster. But some some excitement here at the position youth-wise. Yeah, he may be one of those midseason call-ups to become excited about. And I was a little bit disappointed to see Hosmer and Mancini. Nothing against those guys. And I, I get that, look, they're getting Hosmer on somebody else's dime, basically. They're not paying almost any of his contracts. So I guess that makes sense. And, you know, Mancini makes sense as the DH. But, you know, Mervis is almost 25. And I think everything we saw last year is he's ready to get a chance at the major league level. I'm not sure what he's going to hit for average. A lot of the projection systems seem to have different opinions on him. Steamer has him as high as 258. But then the bat has him as low as, I think, 235. So there's a lot of wiggle room there. But this may be the type of player you're you're picking up when you when the scuttlebutt midseason is, oh, you know, they're trying to trade Hosmer, or maybe he's been DFA'd or something, or you know, Mancini gets hurt or something. Once they have an opening for Mervis, not only will he get called up and play, I mean, he might back clean up the next day. So he's something I'm interested in. I also want to sh give a shout-out to my friend Sarah Sanchez, who covers the Cubs. Whenever I have a question on the Cubs, I always go to her because she follows the team super closely. It's just one of my favorite follows, and especially she knows all about baseball, but especially the Cubs, she's a great resource. So make sure you're following Sarah for all your Cub needs. Good call, good call. Uh, all right, so we are going to get into our top 12 for first base, and I'm going to tee you up here, Scott. We're going to start out going 12 through 6, and then we'll go 5 through 1. Uh, so whenever you're ready, Scott. Yeah, I have Andrew Vaughn 12th, and if you prefer to list him as an outfielder, I could be fine with Ryan Mountcastle here, but that's my number 12, Christian Walker. A lot of times those teams that don't contend have underappreciated fantasy assets. I have him number 11. I said I didn't want to draft into Reese Hoskins, but he is number 10. CJ Crone, gravity always wins in Colorado. He's my nine first baseman. Vinny Pasquantino, I do think I'll be out on him at his ADP, but I still rank him at a respectable eighth. Nathaniel Lowe in Texas had a really good season, hit for surprisingly high average at seven. Man, I thought Matt Olson was going to be a monster, disappointing year, but still, it's a loaded lineup. He's young enough to bounce back. He still might hit 35 home runs in his sleep. Matt Olson, my number six first baseman. So kind of similar names here, uh, a little bit different toward the end. I have Christian Walker at 12. I just love the power there, and I actually like the Diamondbacks lineup too. Uh, I think they have a chance to be surprisingly potent uh, so I'm all in on Walker there. I have Ryan Mountcastle, number 11. Uh, the dimension changes in Baltimore hurt Mountcastle. Uh, no doubt about that. But he has top-tier power. 
and he has power to all fields. I think that Orioles lineup is just going to get better as they promote more of their prospects. Uh, so I'm, I'm in on Mountcastle. I have Hoskins at number 10. Uh, I do think the power is going to be there. He's a 30 homer hitter in a favorable ballpark that, and a lineup that will only get better as the season moves along. Uh, once Harper returns, I have CJ Crone at number nine. I don't love Crone as a hitter, all things being equal. I'd say if you, if, if you're, there's a week where the Rockies are on the road, you don't want them in your lineup, but at Coors Field, he's an all-star. So you put all that together and a season value. He's a top 10 first baseman in the, even if I don't love him as a hitter. Uh, Nathaniel Lowe, I have that number eight, a really good finish to last season, a great second half, has the quality of contact to back it up. And that Rangers uh, front office, they are dead set on building a winner there. I like that Rangers lineup as well, so to get a piece of that uh, with Lowe. I have Vinny Pasquantino at number seven. Uh, we talked about him a lot already. Excited to see what he can do. Not quite ready to put him in my top six. I think there's just more proven names here, but I think the future is bright for Pasquantino. I have Jose Abreu at number six. And again, we talked a lot about Abreu, what he could potentially do in that Astros lineup. I think we're going to see a bounce back power-wise and counting stats. Uh, they'll be there. Should hit for average, too. I think he's pretty safe for, like you said earlier, outside the top 180p. Uh, he's one of the safer picks you can get that late in the draft. For sure, uh, which is why I have him at number five. If we were to talk about the top guys, uh, Paul Goldschmidt coming off an MVP season, aging gracefully in his 30s. He's my number four first baseman. Pete Alonso, maybe uh, the best pure power hitter in the game, and that Mets lineup is super deep. There's a lot. Of, I'm saying that a lot. There's a lot of lineups I want to invest in. I know you're a Mets fan. I got to get some Mets away from you this year when we're drafting against each other. Pete Alonso, my number three guy. And then I think it's a great debate. And I know we have different answers on this. I have Vladimir Guerrero at two, Freddie Freeman at one. I know a lot of people will have that the other way around. They'll both go with early picks. They're both going to be on the, the short list of MVP favorites. Maybe Guerrero is gets a little bit of buzz because he hasn't won it yet. So if Guerrero was in the hunt, maybe people would want to give him an MVP where Freeman's already won it. But man, I, give me all the Freddie Freeman and Vladimir Guerrero you want because uh, you're not going to want to be sitting that out this year. Yeah, I think uh, it's an interesting debate because when you talk about ceiling, Vlad Jr. has the ceiling, but Freddie Freeman has the safer floor. Uh, so either way, I, I, I could see both perspectives with that. With me, I have Vlad Guerrero Jr. number one at first base just because of that potential uh, ceiling there. But uh, going back to number five for me, I have Matt Olson. And I, I think a bit of the disappointment in his, his first season with the Braves replacing Freddie Freeman uh, there, but I mean, his quality of contact is elite. Even last year, max exit velocity, 98th percentile, average exit velocity, 97th percentile, hard hit percentage, 96th, barrel percentage, 93. He's going to hit for power. We know that the Braves lineup is very good, very deep. We, there's been a lot of teams we've said that about, but the, the weird thing about Matt Olson is this bouncing strikeout rate that he's had. It's been all over the place. In 2020, the pandemic-shortened season, he had a strikeout rate of 31.4%. 2021 went down to 16.8%. Last year, 24.3%. So it's kind of all over the place. And the batting average, wherever it settles, I think is dependent upon where that strikeout rate falls. But 
I think another year in the National League, familiarizing himself with these pitchers in the National League East, I think could do him some favors there. I'm still really big on Matt Olson, even though he's my number five. Just the age 29 season, too. So this is a lot yeah. of baseball left in Matt Olson, too. So uh, more of a veteran here, Paul Goldschmidt at, at number four, coming off uh, an MVP season. Uh, feels like people are sleeping on that, actually. <laughs> he's coming off that MVP. Uh, but he's aging gracefully. Uh, quality of contact metrics are still fantastic. Hit 35 homers last year. Even stole seven bases. We thought we thought of him as kind of being done from a speed perspective, but he still you know fills up the box score, which you want to see there. And I like that Cardinals lineup. I, I think there's every reason to think he can be uh, maybe not MVP caliber again, but uh, still very good. But I, I, I'm going with the youth at number three, Pete Alonso. I don't think we've seen his ceiling yet from a fantasy perspective. Uh, I, I know he had that rookie home run record, but made it back to 40 home runs last season, drove in 131 runs. It's hard to do much better than that, but I could see with the power that Pete Alonso has, he has a 50 homer season in him. He has another one at some point it's coming down the pike. And what I like about Pete Alonso is that he's not just a power hitter. You look at the way he's improved uh, with the strikeout rate hit 271 last year. It's not crazy that he could hit 285, 290 one of these years, hit 50 homers. And again, you know, it's hard to bank on 130 RBIs, but he could do that again with a lineup that is very, very good. So I have Pete Alonso at number three, Freddie Freeman at number two. The only question for me is how much power uh, Freeman can hit for. Um, that's the only reason I put him behind Vlad, who I think he could be a 40 homer hitter annually. Um, and a lineup I really love there uh, with the Blue Jays, like we mentioned a bit earlier. Uh, Vlad's quality of contact is elite as well. Uh, I think that the sky's the limit for Vlad, whereas Freeman is reliable as it gets at first base. But I think there's a healthy debate there, like you said. You know, it's interesting. So you look at NFBC ADP and the, the top 30, the guys in the top 30 at this position are Goldschmidt at 27, Alonso at 20, Freeman at 13, and Vlad's at 11. I think you make the argument that Olson's uh, Olson Alonzo is the best value of that group because he could easily win this tier. He's had a 53 home run season before, as you said, he hits for average. People lose that. It's easy to get caught up in the power with him. He's in the home run derby every year. He hits these tape measure home runs, but he's not a, he's not like some, you know, 220 swing and miss guy. I mean, he's a really smart hitter. He has power to all fields that the Mets have put a, tremendous lineup obviously they've spent more money than anybody this year and they put a great team on the field you could if somebody said to me they want to draft pete alonzo over freeman or guerrero i wouldn't say you're wrong i'm not i didn't rank them that way but if you want to again if you're like in a salary cap league where you have a little bit more control over the shape of your roster and you get alonzo a couple of bucks cheaper than these other two guys I, i'm fine with that I, I think he's the best value of the four as far as freeman and guerrero and maybe this is a weakness of me as a fantasy player. It, with early picks, sometimes I'm a little bit more floor-driven. And I just think, when have I ever regretted a Freddie Freeman pick? Vladimir Guerrero is wonderful. The park is terrific. It's, the fences are coming in. He's on the escalator. We haven't seen his best season yet. Vladimir Guerrero could win a home run title. He could win a batting title. He could be an MVP. It's in a park which looks like it's going to be Disneyland. These are all great things. And as you say, Freeman is more of a well-rounded player. He's not going to hit 45 home runs. I get it. But I don't know. I'm a little bit more floor-driven sometimes with these things. So that's why I have Freeman first. But if you and I were co-managing a team and our pick was on the clock and, and you wanted to pound the table for Guerrero, I, I think I'd be persuaded by that. 
Yeah, I, I think they're both uh, they're both safe. I think early, uh, and they're likely to be off the board probably within the first fifteen picks of any mixed league draft uh, this spring. So I think it's interesting you bring up tiers because I think Vlad and Freeman are in that first tier. Alonzo, Goldschmidt, Olsen are in that second tier. Third tier for me, Abreu, Pasquantino, low. And then you go a bit lower, no pun intended, with Crone, Hoskins, Mountcastle, Walker, those kind of guys. Who are, to me, at that point, maybe you're thinking more like corner infielder. That's where you start to think when you get that late in the draft. But I think you can tier these guys out and make your plan based off that. And interesting, I know we're not doing third base today, but I, I just look over at third base and there's a little bit more, just a t- not that first base is, is weak. I think first base is about average depth this year, but I feel like there's a little bit more juice at third base to the point that maybe you might draft a third baseman before you draft a first baseman. Right now, there's five, I think there's five third baseman in the top 25 in ADP, although Bobby Witt qualifies at shortstop too. You may play him at shortstop, but I think it's just a little bit more bite at third base this year. This isn't always the case. I think first base for years was the safer position. Maybe just maybe your corner is more likely to be a third baseman this year. Yeah, I could I could see that for sure. Uh, and there's a fun debate at third base to be had. We will definitely do that uh, in a future episode. But Scott, this was a ton of fun. Like you said, Yahoo! Uh, leagues are are open for business right now so uh we're gonna have more data to work with as far as average draft position really soon as as drafts start to ramp up there but uh thanks again for joining me for this first episode uh once again we're gonna go position by position with these episodes uh second base is up next and you can find that later this week on thursday Uh, so stay tuned for that make sure to subscribe uh to the show here and also be sure to rate and review if you like what you're hearing Scott is at Scott underscore Pianowski on Twitter. I'm at DJ Short. You can follow us there. Take care. We'll see you next time. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean Every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface.